First Take, Her Take, hosted by L. Duncan, Kimberly A. Martin, and Charlie Arnold, gives you a peek into their lives as they navigate their careers and relationships while giving their unfiltered opinions on the sports world's hottest topics. Listen to First Take, Her Take wherever you find your podcasts. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain, a podcast about, well, whatever the hell I want. Actors and musicians, athletes, comedians, neuroscientists, wine experts. If I find somebody interesting, I'm bringing them to you. We'll talk about how they became who they are, how they found success, battled failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. I'm Amanda Renner, and my current dilemma is trying to figure out a good work-life balance. Work-life balance. Might I suggest an exciting career at Lumen Industries, where work-life balance is as easy as undergoing a simple procedure called severance that inserts a chip into your brain to have your professional memories completely separate from your personal ones. Now, we can't tell you exactly what you'll be doing there, because even the employees don't know what they're doing, but the work is very important. Imagine, you'll never have to think about work at home again. And if you're confused about what the hell I'm talking about, watch Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. This show is incredible. I literally was so obsessed that I would watch it like on my phone in little five-minute snippets when I was waiting in the car or eating a snack or walking through my house. It is a massive mind uh, It is incredibly unsettling, but so worth it. It's one of two shows in the last couple years that I've made an exception for um, that are very dark. It's this and Mayor of Easttown. People have said such good things that I was willing to have it, you know, mess with my head a little bit. Totally worth it. Um, as for your dilemma, my only advice is the quote that I often turn to from Paulo Coelho. When you say yes to others, make sure you are not saying no to yourself. I think that's the first step toward balance is understanding when you have to say no, even things that matter to you, philanthropic opportunities, uh, helping mentor somebody, even something with your friends or family. If you want to find that balance and you want to figure out what the right balance is for you personally, you have to figure out those things that you can say no to because if you say yes to them, it means a no to the time that you need for yourself. That's the best place to start. That's what she said. Hey, everybody. Happy May. I've got a great stretch of episodes coming your way over the next few weeks, including today's with guest Amanda Balionis-Renner. She's a reporter for CBS Sports. She covers golf and football. Uh, You can usually find her flying from golf course to golf course, living the dream in beautiful weather, interviewing the top golfers. Um, The Renner part of her name is new. She just recently got married. So if you recognize Amanda Balionis, she's now Amanda Renner. Uh, We're going to talk about that, finding her career in golf, her most embarrassing on-air slip-up, her work with Canines for Warriors, her foundation, Puppies in Golf, and also how to get the men's tour players to support and engage with the LPGA more so uh, they can shine a light on the incredible talent in the women's game. We get into all that and more. Amanda's super easygoing, likable, very talented. If you don't know her yet, get to know her. That's what she said. Super excited to have Amanda on the show. And while I enjoy golfing and I watch it sometimes, I'm not a diehard golf fan, but yet Amanda pops up all over my social media. Um, She loves dogs. She's such a great personality and she draws me into the golf and the football too. We'll talk about the football side of things. And I think most people associate Amanda Balionis as the name they know, but now married. So congratulations first on uh, being a newlywed. So much fun. And we'll talk about your husband and your new name, Amanda Renner. Um, But let's start way back when, Amanda, and and talk about you as a kid. Tell us about growing up and what you were into. 
Yeah, I mean, I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, so definitely born into a family of sports lovers. They always uh, make it a joke that you're kind of you kind of come home with a terrible towel wrapped around you. So <laughs> sports has been, uh, you know, definitely that was that was a, a very important thread throughout my childhood. Um, grew up on a golf course, always, always on or near a golf course. And I think that probably the irony of that was, you know, when my parents wanted me to get into golf, I had no real interest in it, I think, because I'm an only child. And so I spent a lot of time alone. And, you know, back back when I was growing up, there wasn't really like this team element to golf like there is now in, in the junior leagues. And I think golf's done a really great job of, of changing that culture. Um, but yeah, I, I really wanted nothing to do with the game of golf. It felt very stuffy to me. I hated that they measured my shorts to make sure they were long enough when I got to the course. Um, so I spent most of my time at the swim at the swimming pool on the swim team and just really trying to like be around as many other kids as possible. Um, but always a super social kid, wanted to play on every sports team. I played an instrument. I just like wanted to be involved in everything at all times, which... Uh, looking at my life now and when I'm like, how am I constantly overextending myself? It's probably because I've been doing that since I was a child. Yes, I, I am 100% the same. I also like as an adult, think about how much my parents had to facilitate my interests by way of like driving to tournaments and, and meets and everything year round plus band and chorus plus all you know all the stuff like and being that involved what a gift it was that they were willing to like pay for it and also drive me around um but it is interesting being an only child that you gravitated toward the team sports you eventually really got into volleyball right that became your main sport I did so I played that all throughout high school and then played my first two years at a state college in Pennsylvania division two school and then uh, transferred to Hofstra, uh, my, what was that? My spring semester of my sophomore year and tried to walk on. They said, listen, you can walk on, but we're pretty much never going to give you a scholarship. <laughs> and, and I pretty quickly realized, okay, I need to see myself out of this, but it actually ended up being great because my friends at Hofstra then became the volleyball team, even though I didn't play with them. Oh, nice. um, volleyball still allowed me to kind of you know, when you're an athlete your whole life, you're kind of like given a set of friends, you know, like mm -hmm. you, it's, it, it's so much easier to meet people. And I remember that being my first time, you know, when you make this leap into a new school and you don't know anybody and it was the furthest from home I'd ever been. I was like, oh my God, how am I going to make friends? So trying to walk onto the volleyball team <laughs> made the most sense to me, even though I was not nearly qualified enough, but it, it definitely served its purpose in the long run. Yeah, that's awesome that you still made friendships out of it, even though you didn't stick around. What what was the real reason for the transfer? So I knew I wanted to be um, in journalism. I, I thought I, I I feel like I always had this. I always envisioned being like Bonnie Bernstein. I just freaking loved Bonnie Bernstein growing up. I just remember <laughs> watching her on the sidelines. It was really the first time it occurred to me that like. I love watching football because of the sense of community it brought into my household, right? Like I just loved everyone getting together to cheer on this one thing, no matter if everyone was getting along at, at the time or not, or if you had anything else in common. Like to me, it's just that sense of community is what I love about sports so much. And when I saw Bonnie on the sidelines in the 90s, I was like, wait a second, I can get even closer to this, right? Like it just yeah. like this like little light bulb went off that, 
uh, this great feeling I have from watching sports with the people I love could be something I could make into an entire career. Um, so I, to do that, I felt like I had a major in uh, journalism and the state school I was at did not have a journalism program, but Hofstra has a great broadcast journalism program, but it wasn't all the way in the city because that scared me. <laughs> uh, so it felt like a really good balance. Like, okay, I can take the train into New York City and intern there, but then also come back out and live on a college campus. So for me, it was like the perfect balance. I love hearing that because I have to say, it's very rare for me to have a woman on, I would say 30s and up, who remembers seeing a woman in the business and that's what inspired her. Um, there obviously were so many women that came before us that paved the way and did so much to make things easier for us when we came along. But most of the time I find um, that they either followed my path, which is they had to become almost like I was in my 20s when I finally looked around and I was like, wait, 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 I could do this for a job. And that's mm -hmm. in part because my family wasn't as interested in sports. So we didn't sit around and watch football together and have that communal feeling, but also because um, there just weren't that many. And so usually you'll hear instead that uh, somebody watched and their dad or mom just kind of made them think, oh, you could do it even though there aren't any women, like you could be the first. And so I love that there was actually that person because a lot of the younger generations now when I talk to them, they have all sorts of female role models that inspired them and made them think it was yeah. possible. But I love that Bonnie was your was your uh, little shining star. Bonnie's great. And, and, uh. and to have that kind of focus, um, I think is... A not, I, I wouldn't say surprising for someone your age, but like, again, it's a little bit rarer to have that instant idea. Usually when I talk to people, there's something else out on the horizon and they find their way into it. So does that mean like after Hofstra, you immediately were like, okay, what's the first step? How do I get on TV or writing? Or what did you think your first step was going to be? Yeah, I, I was, I've always been a pretty singularly focused person, I would say, when I get something in my head, um, for better or for worse, right? For I guess it was for better in, in this instance. But when I, I think really this started, my, when I transferred to Hofstra, I realized I wasn't going to play volleyball anymore. And listen, that school was really expensive. And I, I came from a very, you know, I, a privileged family where my, my grandparents actually set us up with accounts to pay for our, you know, to pay nice. for our tuition. Uh, which was really wonderful. And I felt the sense of responsibility that like, I knew I, I chose a really expensive school and I knew I needed to make the most of it. Um, so I started interning everywhere. Um, I interned for the Jets because they were on Hofstra's facility. I interned for the Islanders because they were across the street at the Coliseum. I interned at actually CBS, uh, the, the two, uh, CBS two in New York, which is now where I go in to go film like network specials and stuff, which makes me cry every time and everybody laughs at me. <laughs> um, and then for ABC in the city as well. So I felt like I really kind of started my broadcasting career in college because I think I had, I had all this excess energy and focus left over from not playing sports anymore. And I just channeled that all into figuring out what was next. And when I graduated, I graduated in 2008, which you'll remember was like the peak of the recession. Mm. And local stations were not only were they not hiring, but they were shutting down their sports departments. Um, and the internship that I think made the biggest impact was my CBS morning show internship is for the local morning show. And the executive producer there at the time, Byron, said to me once kind of in passing, he was like, listen, you're as a woman when you get out there and you start sending your reels, a lot of times people are going to start offering you news jobs instead of sports jobs. And he said, if you really want to be in sports, you need to only take the sports jobs. 
And that really stuck with me. And he also said, you know, you are naturally kind of, you're, you're not, I think he said like you, you have a natural talent for being in front of the camera. And he said, you have to be careful about p- taking an opportunity that's too big for you before mm. you're ready because you don't get, you don't get second chances in this business. And those two mm. things I, I still think about right to this day. And he was a hundred percent right. I couldn't find a job to save my life because of the recession. And I got two job offers um, in like the Binghamton, uh, North, Northern, Upper, Upstate New York area. Yeah. And they were both for part-time news. And again, I'm, I'm privileged enough to be able to move back home with my parents and they would support me while I figured out how to navigate this, um, which I think a lot of people that I graduated with didn't have that, um, you didn't have that option, right? They needed to graduate. They needed to make money right away and they needed to have benefits. I thankfully didn't, I wasn't in that circumstance. So I moved home and started working for the Lancaster Sunday newspaper. We had moved to Lancaster, Pennsylvania by then. And I did everything for them for writing, from writing obituaries to hard news stories uh, in exchange for they would let me write a sports column in the Sunday newspaper. And then I could actually do a video segment that kind of nice. cross promoted the two. Now, when I say cross promoted, like 10 people were looking at the website. At that time, <laughs> so it was really just like for me to get my reps in. Right. Uh, but it, it felt like a, a really great way for me to continue to build what I knew I wanted to do. Um, and then I got laid off from that newspaper and cause they were doing major layoffs. And the very next day I got a phone call from a Hofstra alum and he was looking for a sideline reporter to cover a Princeton football game for Verizon Bios channel one. And he said, listen, it's basically a live audition. So if, if you do great, you can stay. And if you don't, we're just going to act like this never happened. (laughs) Uh, So it was, you know, one of those sink or swim moments. And uh, luckily they liked me enough. I was a hot mess, but I guess I showed enough potential that they said, we'll bring you back. And they, you know, they started to teach me the fundamentals of, a stand up and what 30 seconds actually was not a minute and a half is what I thought 30 seconds was in my head. And, um, you know, just those basics. And and from there, it, it was a very winding road. But that was the, I guess, genesis of, of my broadcasting career. Yeah, I mean, I love it. Like sink or swim is right. And it's interesting. Life can be scary if you think about it too much. But it's not yeah. scary because you actually just keep it moving. Like you can't fix it. You can't, let me try that again and make it better. There's something about live that I think sometimes actually makes you better at it because you just go. Um, But I don't know about starting with that. That's fairly terrifying. Um, No, it's so funny you say that. I just had this conversation with my producer uh, last weekend. I am so terrible when they ask me to tape stuff. We have like a 15 minute window, right? When Golf Channel stops down and CBS starts up. And if there's something I need to tape, um, it will take me like six or seven times and I eat up the entire 15 right. minute window and they're like, act like it's live. I'm like, but live is easy. Cause like you said, when, if you mess up, you just keep it moving. You can't overthink it, but anything taped, it's like, I'm searching for the perfect word or mm-hmm. like, you know, you're trying to wax poetic in a way that you would never do uh, live. But yeah, I, I think live is actually much easier once you get the hang of it. So you end up moving to New York uh, not long after that. What inspired you to no longer be afraid of the big city and to, you know, think that you could you could hang, hang there doing freelance work? Yeah, I mean, I think because I had spent so much time in the city, 
when I was at Hofstra and I had met two of my really good friends. They went to NYU. So I was, I was with them a lot. And I think it was just really that, that comfort level, but also that idea of like, listen, this is a, this is like a make or break, right? Either I can figure it out here and I truly believe I can figure it out anywhere or this just isn't going to work. Um, and I've kind of always had that mentality. I don't think, I actually love breaking outside of my comfort zone. Um, I think it's, if something scares me or if something feels really big, uh, I, I want to explore it. So uh, Manhattan was was perfect for me in that. And that's probably what draws me to TV as well, right? Like we have these big, scary moments yeah. that you can never really quite script or prepare for. And it's kind of like, well, let's jump in and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> to me, I think that's that's really fun. Uh, so I, I do think that I really embrace that challenge of New York and figuring it out and, and learning a whole new skill set. It's funny you said that because I feel really relaxed on Around the Horn now. I do it so much. But I got this aura ring um, through Gatorade yeah. when I was at the Super Bowl this year. And it gives you, you know, your sleep and your readiness and whether you should rest or, or work out or do whatever. And it also has your, your heart rate. And every time I do Around the Horn, bloop, all the way up. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I guess that gets me going. I guess, you know, I'm fired up for the, for the art of the debate. We'll get right back to the interview. But first... What is your favorite word? Adversity. Adversity. A state or instance of serious or continued difficulty or misfortune. An adverse or unfortunate event or circumstance. So this is circa 1200 from the old French adversité uh, and the modern French adversité, meaning opposition from the Latin and uh, turned against or hostile. Adversity. Speaking of great words. You're going to learn today. The word of the week is fizzle. And yes, now you know it mostly in the sense of fizzling out to fail, to end weekly, especially after a hopeful beginning, an abortive effort to end feebly. That's usually how we use it, fizzled out. But the origins of fizzle are far greater. When it arrived in the 1530s, fizzle meant literally to break wind without noise. That's right. A silent but deadly was called a fizzle. And it probably was altered from the now obsolete fist from the Middle English fissen to break wind. I urge you to use this word as it was originally intended. No, not urge. Command. I command you to use this word as originally intended. So, fizzle in a sentence. Everyone in the car tucked their noses into their shirts, believing the scent to be a far-off skunk or roadside carcass. But Jim alone knew the truth. He just fizzled. Now let's get back to the interview. Okay, so you're it, you're doing freelance. At what point did you start doing the yoga stuff? So yoga actually stemmed from talk about adversity, right? That's that's my favorite word. Um, I took a job again, jumping out of the comfort zone. I, I had been doing for about a year and a half high school and small college football golf or not golf, soccer, lacrosse, literally everything but golf. Um, and a friend of a friend called me and said, hey, the PGA Tour is trying, is looking to hire an in-house reporter. And I said, well, I don't really know much about the PGA Tour. They said, it's okay. I just go down and audition. So I, you know, I sent in my demo reel. They called me and said, come on down, went down there and somehow got the job, even though I knew very little about the game. They said, listen, we can teach you the game. We just like the way that you present and can produce whatever. So I moved down there thinking 
I'm going to be covering PGA Tour for a year or two max, right? Just to add it to my resume reel and prove I can do professional sports. I'm going to be right back in the Northeast covering, you know, football, basketball, all of these things. Well, it's not really what happened. Um, I went down there and put my head down and was working, you know, around the clock. And all of a sudden I became like the golf girl. And people forgot I had ever done any <laughs> other sports, uh, which was a really interesting thing to see is I just got pigeonholed into this thing that I kind of fell into and I could not get a job for the life of me anywhere else. That's and uh, yeah, it, but only it was like, I was like laughing on the outside. So I, but I was like secretly crying and dying on the inside. Cause I'm like, this is just not how I thought my life was going to go. And I was really in this like that. I just, I didn't love where I was living. I just like wasn't really happy with my life. You know, I, I think it's that moment. I think it probably hits a lot of us with these schedules. I was working nights. I was working weekends. I'm, you know, single in my 20s and I don't know anybody in this new city. So I'm trying to figure out how to make friends. My family's all up in the Northeast. Like it was just a very lonely, it was just a really lonely feeling. It was a really lonely place to be. And uh, I started to go to this yoga studio and it was really the only place that I was finding peace. And I just, I kind of like became like addicted to that feeling that whenever I went in there, it didn't matter if I wanted to cry on my mat the whole time, or I really could just like leave my busy thoughts at the door and just focus on like connecting with my mind and body and breath. Like there were so many things that it was just really therapeutic for me. Yeah. And I, at the same time, I was starting to volunteer at Canines for Warriors, uh, which is an amazing place. And, you know, again, playing with the dogs and tiring them out so they were ready for training was also extremely therapeutic. And I just, I got to this place where I really wanted to dive deeper into both. And so I went and got my 200 hour uh, yoga certification because like I said, I just like to jump head in and then ask questions later. <laughs> and it was a really intense program, but I think it was one of the best things I could have ever done for myself. And the intent was to start a yoga program at Canines for Warriors for the veterans uh, who were in the training facility with their dogs, because I thought that would just be a really great holistic thing to add yeah. um, to their experience there. Um, unfortunately, and, and fortunately, I, I did get my certification, but at the exact time where I was talking to Canines for Warriors, I took another job at Callaway Golf to basically get out of broadcasting and moved to San Diego, California. So never got to make that full, um, you know, that full circle connection. But you know, in their own way, they have both come full circle um, in my, in my life even now. So, 2011 is when you started this stuff with PGAtour.com, and I, I I know you said you golfed growing up, but didn't stick with it much. So it's kind of crazy to get thrust into this job where it's like, I want this job, I want to be in broadcasting, but this isn't something I'm super familiar with. So there's that fear of messing up, fear of not knowing your stuff. Um, and I, I heard you tell a story about when you covered your first tour championship, you were one of the later interviews, uh, waiting for people coming off the course and you didn't think anyone would really stop, but you ended up getting Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson and, and neither one turned out the way you'd hoped. <laughs> no, when people ask me like most embarrassing moment, I still, if I had one of those rings on right now, Sarah, I think it would still, my heart rate still pumps out of my chest. Um, yeah, I had... This was a really good lesson, actually, for anybody who has this problem. And I think a lot of us who are type A do. I have a tendency when I'm anxious to ease my anxiety, I over-prepare. 
Um, and I think that serves me well in a lot of ways, but I've had to learn when, when to pull back. And this was one of those moments. The tour championship is the culmination basically of this race of this FedEx cup. It's like the season long race, right? And the winner gets the biggest money prize and it's like a $20 million prize. And, you know, it's the only the top 30 guys qualify to get to the tour championship. It's the last playoff event. So I'm thinking, Heck yeah, there are 30 guys. I can make note cards on all 30. So whoever I talk to, go. I'll whip out my handy dandy note card and I'll be <laughs> ready for whatever comes at me. Well, first of all, you're, you're getting two questions, right? But I decide I need all of the information and fill out <laughs> front and back, single spaced, all of this information about these players. It was like a Wikipedia page. And uh, Dustin Johnson comes up and I'm really nervous. He's probably one of the bigger interviews I've had thus far in my PGA Tour career. And I look at my note card and it says third dash President's Cup. So I'm like, okay, it's gonna be his third President's Cup coming up here in just a few short weeks. So <laughs> I see, you know, I say with all the confidence in the world, Dustin, you know, how have your first two President's Cups prepared you for what's to come, you know, in the next month or next week, whatever it is. And he looked me dead in the eye, and just very confused and was like, this is going to be my first. Oh, no. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that was pretty much what I was doing internally. And I'm like, now I'm trying to figure out what my error meant, right? And I'm like, well, are you third in points? Like, are you third ranked? Oh, and he's no. like, I don't. He's like, I don't know. And I'm like, oh, shit. Well, oh. me either. So, Did you so ever find were, out what it was? Yeah, he was third ranked. Um, oh, yeah, gosh. he was third in the rankings yeah. on the President's Cup team. But to be fair, I was so new that I didn't even realize the President's Cup was every two years. And he ha he wasn't even old enough to be on three President's <laughs> Cups, right? But I just like, I didn't know. I just didn't know. And I, and I looked at the notes instead of sticking with what I knew to be true. You know what I mean? And, and that comes up for me a decent amount even now. I feel like we cover, you, you talk to these guys and you cover these athletes and these stories. And sometimes things will pop up to me in the middle of an interview. And I'm like, Ooh, I think he said that like two years ago. Right. right. And I, if, and unless I now know it a hundred percent to yeah. be true, mm -hmm. we stick, we stick with what's actually happening right that now. That is 100% my approach. And I stick with it to this day, no matter how confident I am, no matter how long I've been in the business. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, if you're not sure, I tend to stay away from it because I, I did one sidelines report for Big Ten Network and I was talking about this statue and I'm, I'm not good with numbers, which isn't great for sports. That's why I prefer to stick to storylines, but I have to really have them drilled into my head. And I said the statue weighed like 100 tons or something, which that's not possible. Um, it's, it's just like way too much. And... I, and no one even, I think one person on Twitter was like, a hundred tons, that doesn't seem right. And I was like, I'm the worst. But it was like, from then on, I was like, I'm going to be told I, I bring down this business for every woman. Like, cause you know, that's what it used to be yeah, back yeah. when I started out was like any mistake you made, it was like, you're the reason no women ever that's should right. be allowed to do this. So now I'm just like, even years later, I'm like, I can't remember that stat. So I'm just going to skip over it. So I don't say it wrong and give people a reason yes. to think that, you know, which, um, when you're first starting out, though, you're like, I think, I think that was it. Let's let's roll the dice. <laughs> well, that, um, that's the thing. I'm like, it's so tempting to do, especially right. when you're, you're live. You have a split second to make a decision, and sometimes, like going back into your, your like memory Rolodex, yep. can 
can make an interview, but it can just as easily break yep. a moment. When you're so, complete, especially if they're staring at you and you have no relationship. So that's the other thing. Right, you're like brand right. new. These guys don't know you. So Dustin Johnson walks off like, what the hell was that lady talking about? And then right <laughs> after that, they're in your ear as you're still flustered. And they're like, here comes yes. Phil Mickelson. He's going to talk to you. And you're like, God damn it. So like, what no happens way. with him? Well, I'm like, I'm like, Phil freaking Mickelson is not stopping to talk to this, to this girl he doesn't know for PGA Tour right at the time no one talked to pjtour.com now it's a whole different it's a whole different thing um but yeah so i you know i turn around i'm like mr mickelson uh do you have time for two questions my voice is shaking and he's like yeah sure and i was like oh dear god like i'll like the, the one time you want a rejection and it just doesn't happen <laughs> so he comes up and i am just mentally not there and i look right into the camera and i'm like thanks phil Oh, no. And I turn to look at him and I try to laugh it off. He does not laugh. And I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is the end of my career. This is the end as we know it. It happens They're at not the Phil. Championship. You're Phil. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> he, was, he was like, oh, my God. Um, you know, so thankfully that interview went better after the initial. Um, yeah, just embarrassing myself. But I would say that was probably the most traumatic like hour of my life that I still think about to this day. Oh. Uh, yeah, you get like the kind of flop sweats, just this remembering those moments when you're so nervous. And you had to do an interview with Tiger like really early in your tenure there too, right? I did. And that one was that one was really interesting. It was for EA Sports. Uh, they had just released like the latest Tiger Woods and it had night golf. So they were they were blowing this out. And we, we were allotted for the PGA Tour, like a 15-minute sit-down. Maybe it wasn't even 15. It might have been like 10 minutes, whatever. Um, so everyone was in their own separate rooms who were doing these interviews. So I didn't know who, you know, where Tiger was first or where he was going next, whatever. He comes in and obviously, listen, this is one of the icons, athletic icons ever, right? Not just in golf, just he's one of the most famous athletes in the world. So I'm already extremely nervous to do this interview uh, but he comes in and he's like, oh, I was just with Robin Roberts. She's just the best, isn't she? And I'm like, that's not who I want to follow. Like, You're like, I've never met her. I'm no <laughs> yeah, one. Right, I don't exactly. know her. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. So the standard set high. He's just glowing about her. And I'm like, OK, so let's just not mess this up. Uh, but I had stayed up all night the night before and memorized this list of questions that I was, you know, told to ask, it wasn't like a conversational interview. It was very much a promotional thing. Right. I was to ask this exact list, not to go off script even by one word. So I memorized every single question oh, in order verbatim. And I, when he sat down in front of me, thank God the camera was from like the waist up because the waist down my legs were shaking so uncontrollably <laughs> and there was just nothing I could do about it. I was like, I know he sees this and this is yeah. super embarrassing, but oh. we're just going to have to go. Um, but sure, yeah, he that was, was used to it by then, that, right? Like that's the thing. making yeah. people feel completely overwhelmed. I mean, so <laughs> you get thrown right into the mix and yeah. I, I remember one of my first gigs uh, in sports uh, where I was actually on camera or on the air was ESPN 1000 radio here in Chicago. And I just did updates every 15 minutes. Like, you know, the Cubs take on the Reds tonight. It's a 7-10 start. Sean Marshall on the hill or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And my boss had to tell me at one point when I said the scores of games not to say 5-0 because just no one says that. They say 5 nothing, or 5-0. Mm. Or 
and like little things that, and I notice now being in the industry and being completely awash in sports media nonstop all day. I'm listening to radio, I'm watching TV, I'm reading stories. Like I'm completely immersed in it all the time now that when I see someone just starting out and I see them talking in a way that is, it's just clear that they're new and they're not yep. technically saying anything wrong. They're just saying things in a way that once you get really immersed in that sport, whatever it is, tennis, baseball, basketball, you just don't, you don't talk like that. That's not how people talk. And that's one yep. of the hardest things when you're first starting out is to do all the work and do all the prep and just need those reps. Do you remember mm. getting started in golf when it wasn't your thing? And did you feel buoyed and welcomed by the golf world, whether it was the athletes or other people in the media? Or did you feel like um, it was adversarial? Like they were like resentful that you had this gig, even if you didn't hadn't been playing your whole life? Yeah, you know, I would say I, I never felt like people were like, how did she get here? It, it was actually a really interesting time. I think when I joined the PGA Tour, PGAtour.com was a thing, but social media, like golf Twitter, which is like a very big opinionated thing now, didn't right. exist, right? So it was actually, I felt like a very welcoming community and the, and the people that I worked with, like a lot of ex-PGA Tour players, like I think they were very like they loved this. They loved being able to to show me kind of the way and and how you say things. And I will say, I, I think, and you know, I ha I've never really covered baseball. Maybe baseball is very similar, but golf, there are so many nuances, so many, there's, there's just so much verbiage that you would, mm -hmm. like you said, you would never know it unless you were so deeply ingrained in it. Um, but the people who are deeply ingrained in it act like you just like murdered somebody, right? If you <laughs> if you say something wrong, like there's there's no in between. And I I felt very welcomed. And I remember the first time they had me call highlights, and it was on like a PGA Tour live, which again is nothing like what it is now. They, they have just grown so exponentially, and there's a much larger audience and pool that they that they use. But when I was there you know, maybe a couple thousand people were watching and that was it. So I think it felt like a very safe environment to make mistakes. And when I called my first highlight rip, I did everything wrong, everything. Like I didn't realize <laughs> you would never call it a drive if it's a par three, right? It's a tee shot. A really? Drive is, oh, yeah. So uh, I did you know, not know that. Right. So it's stuff that like you look back and Billy Kratzer, bless his heart. I still get to work with him to this day. And I love this man. He's a four time PGA Tour winner. He pulled he's like he's like my you know, he's like a father figure. And he pulled me out and he goes, hey, let me talk to you for a second after I did the highlight rip. And he broke down seven or eight things. Wow. In, in like a four shot. It was actually impressive how many things I got wrong in such a small highlight rip. And he's <laughs> like, these are this is what you said. This is how you say it. And it was like, okay, yeah. but the fact that he wasn't, I think that really could have destroyed me. You know what I mean? Like, I for think sure. those are the moments that you had that, someone supporting instead of tearing you down yes, for, for and that. He, yeah. And he's, yeah, he, he didn't make fun of me for it. He wasn't. And, you know, nowadays, I think if I would have gone on air and I would have done that, imagine what social media would have done to me. Right. right. And Absolutely. I, I think that's, that's the sad part is I, I'm thankful every day that I got to make my mistakes Re in a yes. pretty protected environment. Yeah. Um, where I where I wasn't judged and or I wasn't told I don't belong just because I made mistakes. Um, I completely agree. It's yeah. so true. And I, I think I tell a lot of people coming up that they have to be able to shrug it off. Um, and I think also you have to go through those moments on social and get through them to remember when something goes wrong that it eventually goes away.
Like, mm. unless you've yeah. really screwed the pooch, like people forget <laughs> about it. Or that one person who pops up a year later, hey, remember when you're like, yeah, I do. It's not yeah. that big of a deal. Like, keep it moving. It's true. It's but when true. you're just starting, everything feels like such a big deal. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So you, you, you find your way into the golf world and, and at the time you probably think, yeah, I might still be just, this is a quick stop off en route to the, the job I always imagined. But then you right. get the gig at Callaway and then TNT. And now you're at CBS and you do some football in addition to the golf. But like you are the golf lady. Like you are yeah. doing the <laughs> interviews right after someone wins the Masters. You're talking mm. to people about, you know, being inducted into the golf's Hall of Fame and like all this other stuff. Like you're, you're the one that um, so many people associate with coverage of golf and the interviews with the athletes that they like. Um, do you feel at home now? Is there a part of you that is still thinking well, maybe more football or maybe getting into other things? No, I mean, I, this, listen, I feel like, and again, I, I don't know if you've had this experience, but this is advice I give to everyone in broadcasting is you are going to have this vision of what your life's going to look like. And you have to be willing to let the opportunities tell you where you belong. And I would have never pictured myself being in golf, right? But now I can't imagine my life without golf. Um, you know, I've been covering the PGA Tour, you know, since 2011. These, these people that I work alongside of and the players and their wives and, and the cat, they're family now, you know? And you know the courses, you know the tournament directors, you see the same volunteers. It's, it's such a wonderful life um, that I never would have picked for myself, but I'm so happy I didn't stick with my guns and instead just kept going right. where the opportunities took me. You know, right. I think I easily could have taken myself out of the life that I now have. Um, I, and I think probably people do tend to do that because they say, this isn't what I want, or this mm -hmm. isn't, this isn't I give that enough. advice all the time, all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. great to have a plan, but be willing to see where the doors open and be willing to walk through them and try. I mean, I've been in radio now for the longest time and I had no interest in radio. I was terrified mm. of radio and like callers quizzing me and yeah. just the, how extemporaneous it is. And you got to fill hours and hours. And now I love it. It's such a great fit for me. But yeah, that's such good advice. And, I, and I, I tell that to people a lot. That doesn't mean you give up on the big dream, but maybe you find along the way that the thing you always thought you wanted in practice actually isn't that enjoyable every day. Um, yeah. and you find the thing that is, I mean, your, your life in golf looks pretty enviable. How <laughs> often are you traveling? And I mean, it's always to somewhere warm and awesome because you don't play golf in the snow. 
I, I always say that I'm like, we're not going to Green Bay in December, right? <laughs> yeah. So there, no one is allowed to ever complain. Um, you know, it's, I listen, I travel, I do every single uh, golf on CBS event, right? I, I every single week. So uh, that can be 22 weeks, you know, plus then the football uh, season that they give me, which can be, you know, it usually ends up being about a half a season. But for golf, I'm on the road. Man, we start uh, January at Torrey Pines, and then we stop down in March for March Madness. And then once we pick back up at the Masters, we're full speed until August. So it's a whirlwind. Uh, you kind of pick your head up and you're like, holy, holy cow, like where'd the summer go? Uh, but it's, it's just such a fun, grueling stretch, right? Like you're, you're always tired. You're kind of always wondering what time zone your body's on. Um, but it's, I would not have it any other way. It, it really, you get to go to the most beautiful golf courses in the coolest cities and you, yeah, it's, it's just, I just think it's very unique from really any other sport that you get to cover because again, it's with the same people every week, just a different city, which makes it really interesting. How different is the culture of, of working golf and the people around you, whether that's in production colleagues or the athletes versus football? Mm, I would say football's so different because you these teams these they, they're each other's teams, right? Like the sense of community in golf comes with everybody, so it's not weird to walk in and your production crew is having dinner with you know some swing coaches or a couple caddies or a couple players are there or you're all in the same restaurant together, right? Eating at the same time because we are all lemmings and we all like by word of mouth here what the best restaurants are and everybody goes to the same place. <laughs> like that's just like what happens out on the PGA tour. So the sense of community on golf, uh, I would say is it's a much bigger circle. It kind of encompasses everybody where in football, you're very much you're in. It's, I would say it's more intense feeling, right? You do the production meetings, you're, you meet with the home team, you know, you maybe go to their practice, go to their facility and then you're out and then you go meet with the away team in their hotel and then you're out and then you have a dinner with your production team talk about the game the next day everything feels more intense and more fast-paced yeah where in golf it just feels like a more relaxed family environment if that makes sense yeah it's interesting it um in a lot of ways golf is fairly criticized for not being inclusive but it mm. also is a sport where women play a lot mm. as opposed to football, where women yes. have been sort of omnipresent in a lot of the spaces, maybe not the clubs all the time. I mm -hmm. certainly grew up somewhere that had some of those. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about the women's game a little because I know you worked the Solheim Cup and you haven't done as much on the women's side, but you were really enthusiastic. You're excited about getting into that. Um, yeah. How common are the conversations about trying to grow that sport and publicize it? and use the men's game or crossover to sort of bring it into the spotlight more? Yeah, I listen, I think it probably depends on on the people you hang out with. The people yeah. I tend to hang out with, we talk about it all the time. Uh, and I, I'll tell you, we use the NBA and WNBA as, as really what we look up towards, right? Like how can we get the PGA Tour players to support, like you see LeBron courtside, you know, at a women's game, mm -hmm. like, how do we do that? And uh, those conversations are, are definitely present. I think that it's starting to trend in the right direction. Uh, Michelle Wee West is a really good friend of mine. And 
I am incredibly proud of what she did with the with the hoodie, right? Yeah, and I got one of those. Yeah, and it, it was amazing. And what was cool was, you know, she got it in the hands of a bunch of NBA players. And mm-hmm. I think that, I think the PJ Tour players obviously look up to those guys too. And they're like, wait a second, Steph Curry's wearing that? Like, I want, okay, I, I want one of right. those, right? What right. does this represent? And I, I do think it's just breaking down that invisible wall that for some reason exists um, that the PGA Tour kind of does its thing and the LPGA Tour does its thing. But these these players do live in, in a lot of times in the same areas and they practice together and they they respect each other. They learn from each other. I think it's just a matter of like, okay, how do we tell that story more so we can keep building on that momentum, right? Because like the the relationships exist. It's not like the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour don't interact in their downtime. They very much do, but it just is never really, I don't think talked about at the level that I think if the general fans could learn about it all yeah. of a sudden, I, I think it would change the narrative a little bit. But I mean, these women are absolutely unbelievable. To me, that's one of the coolest things that the Augusta National Women's Amateur does is because the final round is at Augusta National. It's the smartest thing ever. People are tuning in because people want to see Augusta National, right? If you're not a, a, a fan of the women's game, quote unquote, you're still turning on the TV because you want to sneak peek of the most iconic golf course in the world that you never get to see otherwise. And what yeah. ends up happening? Well, they turn it on and they see these women just destroying this golf course the same way the PGA Tour players do, right? Like they see them you know, making these massive birdies on Amen Corner or, you know, the the stretch that Jennifer Cupcho had and Maria Fossey did in their first year, you know, 16-year-old Anna Davis doing what she did this past year. So I think all of a sudden they walk away really impressed by the game right. when they had initially just turned it on to see the golf course. Um, yeah, I think, so. I think that's part of it. I think um, I'm surprised sometimes that women's golf isn't bigger because – as far as the average golfer at home, men could watch the best women and learn from them and admire them and aspire to play like them, which is different than so many other sports, mm-hmm. other than maybe being able to really you know, crush a drive um, as an amateur or, or, or casual male golfer. You're going to look at a lot of what they're doing in terms of the skill and the club choice and everything else and be able to, to learn from it. So I'm surprised it isn't bigger. I feel like in some senses... Uh, they need another Annika or Michelle, or they need their own Tiger Woods. Um, mm. So many of the best women's players are foreign-born, and Americans are just jingoistic in who we attach to, right? That, that so much of it is is story, and why sure. we why we want to root for someone and what their story is. And so, some super charismatic female player with a great story who comes on and starts dominating. Um, you know, there's been a couple of those that have poked through the, the storylines that, that we break into in the rest of the sports world. But, you know, as someone who only talks golf right about right around the Masters or mm. Phil Mickelson making headlines or occasionally, um, you know, something else, uh, I'm kind of looking for that moment that us, us regular sports gas bags have to address something <laughs> in the women's game because it just gets that big. Yeah, and you know, I, I do think that we can do a better job as golf media of telling those stories and getting them right. put out in, into more mainstream avenues. You know what I mean? Like there are people that work their butts off covering the LPGA every week. So it's not like I'm saying there aren't people doing it. There are. Um, but I think it's just a matter of, okay, 
how do we how do we get them the same attention? How do we get those stories the same attention as even you know the stories that are coming out during the John Deere Classic, right? So it's like right. you look at the PGA Tour and it just they found their niche, they found their groove, and I think people find the places that they want to go find those stories. And I, I just I think there's probably a way to get those the LPGA stories into that into that same area where people are again. Are, they don't have to seek it out. They kind of just stumble upon it, right? Yeah. Like you think of Nellie Corda, Jessica Corda. I mean, you right. two rock star sisters, right? You are, yeah, doing unbelievable things. It, it just, I think there are those stories, but I agree with you. I think there probably is a way to to tell them or get them a li- get them in a different space so that they're a little bit more visible. And I would love to see the men's players step up in the way NBA yes. players have. I would love to see mixed doubles event or a mixed event where you're 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 maybe tuning in to watch the Rorys and the Tigers and everybody else, but you're also going to then be enlightened to the talent on the women's side. I think there's some creativity that yep. maybe pushes back on the traditions in the hallowed halls of golf, but would be useful in terms of opening up. I, I remember a friend of mine, this is a random tangent, but she was a professional pole vaulter. We, we did track together at Cornell and she went on to play uh, to pole vault professionally. And mm. in between the world championships and the Olympics and the very serious ones, they would have these like rock and roll pole vault events in Europe with like crazy cool. music, a lit up runway. And it was a party. And if you're not going to show up to just a regular track meet and get into it, that's an opportunity to open the door and have people see it differently. And I feel like there is a place for golf to shed the seriousness and not just when they jump in a lake when everything's done, but to do a whole right. event that offers up, you know, or, or, you know, Phoenix Open, something like that, but maybe even more extreme that offers some people a little, little gateway drug and then they yeah. do the whole thing. Listen, I, I, that's and that's exactly I think what makes the the Augusta National Women's Amateur so successful. Right. It was it was successful from day one because of the golf course, right? And that, that's an anomaly. There aren't any other Augusta Nationals <laughs> that people are going to just tune in just to see the golf course, really. But I agree with you. If we can figure out a way where PGA Tour players are teeing it up, a lot, you know, we just are coming off the Zura Classic, which is a team event, you know. So all of a sudden, you're like, well, why can't we? I think it's really interesting to see who the guys pick as their partners because those a lot of times they're friendships that we don't even know exist, right? Or yeah. there's a tie there we don't know exists. Right. How cool would it be to see Lexi Thompson teeing it up next to Bryson DeChambeau? I would tune in to watch those two bomb it off the tee and show us, you know what I mean, how to overpower a golf course. Um, I, there are so many... I just think there are so many PJ Tour players that have close relationships with the LPGA Tour players. I think people would tune in just because they're interested to see, oh, wow, I didn't even know those two knew each other. Let's see how they do out there on hopefully a yeah. course that we're all familiar with. So, yeah. I mean, we love I that with you. celebrity pro-ams. We love it when we yeah. got, you know, the match. So doing mm-hmm. that and miking up the, the ladies and, and the guys and having that back and forth, I think, I think would be awesome. We're running out of time here. I have to ask you, first of all, you've got your foundation that you started. Um, and I, I think I was on a podcast with you talking about that. So we have shared our mutual affection for dogs and our obsession. Uh, but tell everyone if they want to check it out, how they can like support it and see what, what the work you're doing. 
Yeah, well, first, tell your dogs I said hi. Very I will. Um, <laughs> One was in here, but he was going to be too loud, so I told him he couldn't stay. <laughs> oh. uh, so the, my foundation, it's called Puppies and Golf. So we're a 501c3 registered nonprofit. And we, we serve a, a couple different pillars. Uh, the first is to promote no-kill shelters across the country and provide them with grants that they're in need of and also the awareness and exposure of the work that they do and the dogs that they have in their shelters uh, and just these amazing animals that, you know, are not quote unquote bad dogs. They just have found themselves in, in bad situations and are ready for their forever home. So we try to tell those stories. We also serve um, the organizations that train rescue animals to become service dogs for our military veterans. Uh, that obviously stems from my time with Canines for Warriors. It's it's such important work. They go and save the dog. The dog saves the veteran, and it's this incredible full circle moment. Um, and then we also are here to provide emergency medical funding for families that are in need of whether it's a medical bill, like their dog, you know, needs emergency surgery that they can't afford, we will help them out. Or if it's emergency um, behavioral training so that the dog isn't returned back to a shelter, we'll provide that as well. So we're, we're really just trying to be a resource in the community. We found that golf, the golf community is extremely charitable. They love their dogs. Uh, there's a definite intersection here. So we're just trying to become a resource and spread the word and hopefully save all of the dogs. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. Uh, Puppiesandgolf.org if you want to check it out or throw a donation their way. That's awesome, awesome work. Um, and quickly, yeah. how was the wedding? Recap, <gasps> 30 seconds or less, everything you dreamed of. Uh, did you have the brief depression right afterwards? Like, oh shit, it's over. Like all the planning, all the fun, all the friends. <laughs> now what do I do? But, so I will say briefly, I did not want the wedding. I wanted to elope. Brent what? convinced me to have, well, my parents eloped. I just like never dreamt of my wedding day. That wasn't a thing. Um, so Bryn convinced me to have this wedding. I was pretty resentful the whole way leading up to it. And then I had to admit in front of everyone that he was right. I was wrong, which I rarely ever say. It was the best weekend um, of our lives. We had an amazing time. We quickly fit in our honeymoon. We went to Europe, came home for about a day Where'd and you a go? half. Uh, we did two days in Paris, uh, Tuscany, Florence, and Rome. Oh, and awesome. it was amazing. Came home, and I think to avoid that come down, I just unpacked, repacked, and headed right to Augusta. So there you go. Not a <laughs> bad, madness. not a bad way to get back to life. <laughs> That's right. But no, it was wonderful. <laughs> and he's a former quarterback for the Tar Heels and in the NFL for a couple different teams on the practice squad. What does he do for work now? He is. So right now he has made the big jump into the business world, which I am exactly okay. zero help with. He's like, hey, do you know anything <laughs> about Microsoft Teams? I'm like, I know nothing about that, sir. No. <laughs> so he is in tech sales. So if anyone needs any e-discovery work with your you insurance or legal company, right, perfect. give us a call. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Uh, well, congratulations. The pictures were gorgeous and you guys Thank look so you. happy. I loved uh, being nosy from afar on that. Um, before I let you go, you do have to do the one thing that everybody does, but nobody expects. Didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. It's the Spanish Inquisition 10 question speed round. Number one, all of your current jobs are canceled. What job do you do instead? Uh, run an animal shelter. There you go. There you go. Number two, what's the most scared you've ever been? Ooh, my first time live on CBS. <laughs> How'd you do? 
<laughs> we did. I, hey, I'm still here. So well there you enough. go. There you go. Uh, number three, you could be the best in the world at one thing for one day. What is it? Best thing. Uh, best singer. Best singer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yes. Uh, number four, what current celebrity from music, politics, TV, or sports would you most like to be your best friend? Uh, Glennon Doyle. Oh, my God. I got to meet her finally in person. And she is such a delight. I, like, love her so much. I have to Super. control myself around her from not being a complete freak show because I'm so obsessed with her. I'm so jealous. I have to play it real cool. Um, she's the best. Uh, number five, what's your biggest, most meaningless pet peeve? Meaningless pet peeve. Oh, God, I feel like I've, I don't know. Uh, biggest, oh, small coffee cups. Nothing mm. is more triggering than when you go to a coffee <laughs> shop and I'm like, I'll have a large coffee. Man, yes. we only have one size. Well, how, what? What? Yeah. yeah. And it's small not, coffee cups. and it's not turbo boost me to the moon size. Yeah. Correct. What yeah. Small coffee cups. <laughs> uh, number six, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? Most embarrassed I've ever been. Mm, it might have been that Dustin Johnson interview. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's something like personally that yeah. was more traumatizing growing up, but that's that's the one I'm going with. That'll right now. stand out. <laughs> uh, number seven. What's the thing about yourself you'd most like to improve? Ooh, um, my lack of accepting things. I wish I were more accepting mm. of, of everything and everyone around me. <laughs> so is it, is it like, I want to, you want to be less judgmental about people who are different or make different decisions? Is it no. more like, this isn't the outcome I planned for. And now I'm triggered by like not being in control. Cause this is not what I had planned for. Yeah. I think my anxiety turns into serious control issues. And okay. then I, I can't just accept when things are not going the exact way I'd mapped out in my head, because then I, yeah, then I have no control. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. So I, when I'm offline, I'm going to send you one of my old podcasts with this guy because Ooh. I have the same issue. Um, particularly we, we, you talked earlier about having to balance so many different things. I'm a, con mm. a consistent over scheduler and my day yep. is always like a Jenga board. And so if <laughs> I like put some time aside to, to run an errand and then it's, the store's closed for no reason. Yes. Or I can't like yesterday. It took me 35 minutes to just run in and get coffee. Cause I went to two places and I couldn't find parking. Cause it's the city where like, yeah. I, and so I was like practically screaming and I'm like, Oh my God, it's going to be fine. Like you're yes. going to be fine. You're going to get the coffee. You're going to get home in time. But like, it threw me off so much. And I'm like, there's real world problems, lady. Like get your <laughs> life together. It's just but like, that, it's just taking yes. you too long to get coffee. Everything's going to be fine. Um, uh, but I, I have feel, everything I so mapped out. So I, I talked to this guy and there's actual tips relating to like neuroplasticity and our ability to like make bridges in our brain to get to the places we want to faster by going there more often. And that oh. includes being able to like know your triggers and practice reacting differently. And then you'll mm. naturally start going there without trying. It's wild. Whoa. I'm gonna yeah, send I need it that. to you. It's, yeah. it's good stuff. Okay. My, Number my husband eight. will thank you in advance yes, as well. One, uh, <laughs> yes. All the people around me are thankful when I like something terrible happens midway through one of my elaborate costume parties. And I'm like, well, nothing we can do. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not going to like freak out or anything. I'm like, no, nothing That's we can amazing. do. Um, number eight, any musician or band alive or dead can play at your next party. Who is it? The Eagles with Glenn Fry, obviously. Oh, you and Charles Barkley should throw a party uh -huh. together. That was is his answer too. That's his what? favorite band of all time. 
know that about Charles. Yes, uh, yes. You guys will have to invite me to the joint yes. party that you have. Um, number nine, what would you consider your biggest failure? My biggest failure. I would say not, not being, uh, being in the moment and appreciating the moments enough mm. throughout in college. I would say I, I was so, I was so focused on what was going to come. I, I think I didn't do a good job of appreciating where, what my life was in that moment and like yeah. having fun and not letting that moment pass me. You know what I'm saying? Literally just posted a meme about that on Instagram yesterday that I shared from someone else. Very fascinating yeah. timing for you on that one. Yeah. yeah. It was about whatever this moment is in your life is the now and that's what you got to focus on and yeah, it'll lack, eventually lead you to the thing you're looking for, but you can't spend right. all your time. Lack lack of being present, I yeah. think is a uh I think it's a popular one and it's it's a really difficult thing to to force yourself to to work on, but I think your whole life passes you by if you if Agreed. you don't focus Always on it. on to the next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, number 10, what three individual words would you most hope that people would use to describe you? Oh, let's see. Caring. Mm -hmm. Loyal. Mm -hmm. And caring, loyal, and mm, I think loving. Loving. Caring, loyal, and loving. Sounds yeah. like all the dogs that you work with. <laughs> I basically just want Honestly, to be a dog. Honestly, <laughs> not a bad aspiration. I like dogs most of them more than most humans. So if people were more like dogs, I think we'd be a lot happier. Uh, finally, bonus question. Who should I have on this podcast from any industry, any background? I Have you already had Glennon? I have. I've had her by herself and then with Abby. Okay, literally. Okay, well, first of all, I need to yeah. go back and listen to those because yeah, I'll send you that all too. Things, Glennon. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, Brene Brown would be my other one. Yes, yes. I am slowly trying to work my way into the Brene Brown universe, and she has that new show. So I'm like, maybe she's like doing any publicity, not just the big ones. So I'm trying. I'm working on it. Have you uh, Sean Aker? I think Sean Aker would be super interesting too. I haven't. Yeah, he would be a, he he's like a happiness researcher. Yeah. And he wrote The Happiness Advantage. It's uh he is a really interesting guy. He's hilarious and so much smarter than I'll ever be. And his like talk about perspective, I think yeah, yeah. He, he's one that of those sounds guys who right up my alley. Yeah. Yeah, Sean Aker, okay. I'm going to go. I'm on it. I'm on it. Uh thanks so much for doing this. Good luck with the life oh, work balance. Um, thank you. And uh, maybe our paths will finally cross one day. But for now, I'll just admire you from afar. Well, same girl. I have been I have been looking up to you forever. So this Aww. was the fact that you even wanted me on here. I'm trying not <laughs> to fangirl out the same Aww. way you probably fangirl out about Glennon. So thank you for having me. That's what she said. Oh, yeah. One more thing. This is a place for rants, raves, everything in between. Sometimes I'll complain about something. Sometimes I'll share a great story. I think you should check out really what's ever, you know, on my mind. And this week, other than potentially rewatching Severance to dig more into little details than the Easter eggs as I await the long, 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 long wait for season two, uh, what else is on my mind is an absolutely hilarious piece in The New Yorker by Simon Rich. It's entitled Mario, Not So Super at 40. It begins simply with Mario, the star of Super Mario Brothers, reflecting on his age. And it sounds like this, pardon the accent. It's a me, Mario. I was a working as a plumber in New York when I fell down a pipe and landed in the Mushroom Kingdom. 
Pretty soon, I was a having all kinds of super fun adventures, crushing Koopas, dodging hammers, and jumping through castle after castle. It's a like of my whole life was a game. I'd wake up each morning shouting, Wahoo! Yippee! Here we go! That feels like a really long time ago. I was born in 1981, which means, if you do the math, I'm a 40 years old. Again, apologies for the accent. It progresses. We learn that Mario has a bad back now. Uh, he has an unappreciative princess girlfriend, a thieving friend in Yoshi, and a very mercurial brother, Luigi, who is now sober, has a husband, and is frankly sick and tired of helping Mario with his personal problems. Uh, it dives deep. Here's another bit where he gets a call from the princess. And I'm about to hang up when she tells me she's been kidnapped by a Koopa. And I know I'm not supposed to say this, but lately I've started to think she's been getting kidnapped by Koopas on purpose. The first few times it happened, I was like, okay, that's a weird coincidence. But then it happened again and again and like literally thousands more times. And recently I said to her, if you know that the Koopas are after the princess, why do you walk around wearing a crown? And she was like, oh, so you're saying I was asking for it because of the way that I was dressed? And I was like, you know what? If you want to get to me canceled, go ahead. Again, the accent. I'm so sorry. It has a lot of the uhs in it. Get to me canceled. It's written right there. She's a bent kidnapped. Just go read it without my accent. Go read it for yourself. Especially those who grew up with the magic of Super Mario Brothers. Again, it is in The New Yorker by Simon Rich. It is flat out hilarious. Laugh out loud. You can always tweet me at Sarah Spain. Guest suggestions, questions, dilemmas, more at Sarah Spain. Uh, and you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe, follow. That's what she said with Sarah Spain. Rate it five stars, please. Give me a nice review. Maybe it'll pop up in the podcast. And thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. 